so I do want to give a shout out to uh, our Rorschach campus, and uh, I want to say hi, and I'm on video because next weekend is our grand opening, and I'm supposed to be there live this weekend, but I'm going to be there live next weekend for our grand opening. And uh, you can get the budget, this is the budget, and you can get that, and I encourage you to do that. We have our vision gathering at Rorschach at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, and we hope you'll, you'll all come for that. Because it's a time of celebration, it's a time of looking back, but it's also a time of looking forward. And so we would love to have you join us for that. Uh, Essentially what I'd like to do in the next two weeks is share kind of the vision. You know, whenever you walk into a church, one of the first things, you know, there's a couple things you do. The first thing is, is there anyone like me in this place? Do, do the people kind of look like me? Do they, does, or do I feel strange, out of place? That's the first thing. We just generally do that. The second thing is, oftentimes, is we say, okay, what's the story with this church? What's the story with it? Uh, and so, essentially, sometimes I've likened it to, uh, we, we're, we're on a bus, and we're headed towards a destination. And so you, you, you need to know what the route map is. And when we used to live in Chicago, we took the train. You, you had to get on the right train. If you got on the wrong train, yeah, you had to get off and get on and get on. And so it was kind of a pain. So what I'm going to try to do is say, okay, who, what train are you getting on and where are we going? And it may be through these two messages in the next couple of weeks, you go, you know, that's not the train I want to be on. Maybe it'll be, you'll say, yeah, that's the train I want to get on. That's the train I want to be part of. Um, We're not a maintenance church. We're not looking to maintain a status quo because we believe that the Great Commission prevents us from that. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. (laughs) It doesn't say, okay, you have enough, stop, you know, maintain. No, we're not a maintenance church. We're a a go go for uh, disciples and, and to make as many disciples as we possibly can for the Lord. So that's one of the things you'll see. The other thing you'll see is that we are a church that uh, really wants each of us, each of those people that would call themselves Christ followers, not only just to gather together on the weekends, but to make a difference during the week. That people would see Christ in us and say, what is it about you? You know, one of the the great moments uh, that I have as a pastor, and I keep a pretty, you know me, I've been in town for 18 years. I don't write like notes and letters and i'm not real political i don't do all that stuff i'm and that's just me i just i don't want to be i don't want to be known in the community as oh there goes pastor matt and you know you know he's the pastor and you know i don't really want to do that and it's not that i'm ashamed of it it's just not who i am but when people find out i'm a pastor and they find out what church i'm in and they they say oh the, one of the things that really i love hearing is I've met a number of people that go there, and every one of them that I've met has been a really nice person. They've been encouraging. They've been, you know, I do get some, you know, some, you know, there's a couple of those crackpot stories, and you go, yeah, they don't go there, you know, you don't, you know, but, you know, I mean, the bottom line is sometimes you cringe a little bit, but most of the time, I believe hope has a really positive perception in the community. Because you folks live the life, and that's a testament to your love for Jesus Christ. And so that's encouraging as a pastor. And so I want to talk a little more about how do we do that better. 
Uh, one of the things, some of the things we'd like to do this year is this. We now have capacity because we have two campuses that go, they can go all week long, all year long. We're not renting a space. Now we have two full campuses. And so what we want to do now is we have capacity, but now what we need to do is we need to put meat on the bones. What I mean by that is we need to help people grow in their faith. And there's a lot of ways to grow, right? Uh, sometimes you go through trials, and that's a way to grow. Sometimes it's through uh, having studies, like we're having this marriage study, and that's a way to grow. Uh, sometimes we, we have men's studies that meet on Saturday mornings, and that's a way to grow. Women's Bible studies, you saw that. That's a way to grow. But there's also uh, small groups. Small groups is a way for you to feel connected because as the church gets bigger, it needs to get smaller. The way it gets smaller is you get plugged into a small group where there's 8 to 10, 12 people that know you and, they, and you know them. And you get to connect with them and they're your friends. And leaving the community, is, a, is the hardest thing is not because you'll miss Pastor Matt and his sermons or Nelson and his quirkiness. Uh, but that you'll miss your friends in your small group. That's that's or you're serving, you know, you found a place to serve. You're serving with the kids or in Lori's area or in Amy's area. You're you're serving, you're using your gifts and you feel like you're giving back. You're serving God. And that's a way for you to grow. That's how you grow. And so we want to help people get more plugged in and more into small groups and plugged into serving and and just get feel like they're connected and feel like they're taking steps of growth this year. Uh, but one of the things we want to do is, as we go out into the community, how, how are we going to make a difference? Because as we gather together, we should gather together, and, and I liken this when we're praying, and we pray before every service with the worship team and the technicians. We gather together and we pray. And we pray for the service. And here's the prayer that I prayed this, this, uh, today. I prayed that God, as he gathered us together in that room, and as he gathers us here, that we would be like a fire, that we would be like a light, and that when, when we, we, we get brighter and brighter, and as we go out in the community, our lights would shine to the community, and they would see Jesus Christ in us this week. And that's my prayer, that as we leave, we do that. And so I want to read a passage, and you could join me, if you would. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew 5, verse 13. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm going to find the page for you. Is it on? Oh, that's 736. See, there you go. Uh, I want to start reading at verse 13. Here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can, it, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and put, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus told his disciples that they're the salt of the earth and they're a light on a hill. And that... that, that uh, they're, they're being salt and they're being light on a hill. Their good deeds will lead non-believers to praise their Father in heaven. I, I think a little bit of that took place this week at Audubon School. Because they saw that we were motivated by our love for God. And that drove us to uh, a love for, for them. Um, John Stott, who was a great commentator, wrote this. 
Jesus calls his disciples to exert a double influence on society, a negative influence by arresting its decay and a positive influence by bringing light into the darkness. For it is one thing to stop the spread of evil. It's another to promote the spread of truth, beauty and goodness. So what are the implications of being salt and light? What does that mean when we say that we're salt and light? Um, There's a couple of and I'll give you three. Uh, we're called to march to the beat of a different drummer. And, and I think that's the one, and it's fairly obvious, that we who have called upon the name of Christ are Christ followers. And we march to him and to no one else. Salt and light expose decay and darkness. Salt was used in those days to preserve food from going bad and going rotten. Um, it slows down the process of decay. But salt will lose its effectiveness if it's mixed with sand or other elements. Uh, It loses it when it's mixed with other elements. In a similar way, we're called to be the salt of the earth. The church is called to have a preserving influence in the spiritually... We live in a world, a society that is spiritually decaying right before our eyes. We see it every day in the papers, don't we? Now, am I saying that we are going to stop the decay and we are going to prevent the world from going in the direction? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is that we can have a preservative effect within the community, the people, the contacts we have, the sphere of influence that we have. We can have a preserving effect in the people that we have contact with, whether it's at work, at school, whether it's our neighborhood. Uh, we, we have that. We, we can have an influence. No, let me change that. Now, we can. We do have an influence. We have an influence. So when we're living lives that is consistent with the gospel, we can be used by God to keep our community from deteriorating morally, socially, and culturally. We have that. We have the capacity to do that. Again, we're not arguing that our society isn't decaying. It's slowly... If you look at our society today, it's sick. It's sick. I mean, it really is. It needs a doctor, right? And it's Dr. Jesus. And Jesus Dr. Jesus will come, but it was going to come at the end, and then I'm going to set everything right. But we have a society that's slowly decaying right before our eyes. We have a number of things. We have hate crimes. We have racial tensions. We have sex scandals, political corruption, the decay of marriage and the family. We have all that going on right now, right? And, and it's something new. We see it every, we see another tumor of our society on a regular basis. Uh, the more the world decays, the more it needs the preserving effect of the church as salt. That's why God's called us to be salt. Okay? But the church, uh, but if the church is going to be salt, the church must maintain her integrity. See, and I think that's where we lose it sometimes. We lose our integrity when we leave this place. Some of us are different people when we're here and we're worshiping than when we are out in the world. Now, let me give you an illustration of that. So this last week, and you get tired of hearing these stories about my kids, and pretty much they're over because they're all out of the house. So I'll have to come up with stories about Carol or somebody else. Um, and she doesn't like that, so there probably won't be any stories about family. And you'll say, thank goodness, you know, finally, 18 years and we're finally done with the stories. No. So um, I was moving one boy to Iowa City and the other one's going to the University of Iowa. And I borrowed the church van and I realized that when I was driving the church van that I had to be careful about how I drove. <laughs> and I thought... You know, maybe it's a good idea we pull all this stuff off the side of the van, 
for the future. Now, I'm not going to say that sometimes I can drive a little rugged. But, but, but I, you know, I caught myself saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're in the church van now. <laughs> and you know what? I, that's just so, it, that, that's what happens. It's like, well, we're in church, so let's act like it. But then we go out into the world and we're like different people. And it's like, yeah, even your pastor does that stuff, right? And so it's like, man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get over this and we gotta stop that. He, Maybe we all say, I'm a, a faithful member of Jesus Christ, you know, or something on our cars. But, but the point is, if the church is, is corrupted by worldly values and it loses its purity, then it loses its effectiveness and it's useless. And that's the thing. See, the biggest argument that people have of not trusting Christ is they've never met a Christian that they believe really believes what they believe, what they say they believe. They've never met a Christian that really lives out what, you know, sacrifice, lives out when they when they're wrong. They just they own up to it. So the swimmer is going to be on tonight. I won't mention his name, but he's going to be on for a primetime interview. And he it's going to be interesting to see what he does. If he falls on the sword and just is totally honest about everything, he'll be forgiven. But you know what he's going to do? I think he's going to do a Christian thing. I think he's going to kind of, kind of, kind of apologize, but then justify his behavior. And you know what? That's what we do as Christians. We, we, we don't, we, we, we don't, we say, oh, I'm sorry, but, and there's always a but. Sometimes we're too eager to, you know, the other thing too is sometimes we're, we're, we're too eager to be relevant and to reach out. So we want to be, we want to be attractive to our, so so attractive to our surrounding culture that we never want to talk about the gospel. Can I just say what the gospel is? The gospel says everyone in this room is a lost sinner running from God. That you aren't seeking God. He's seeking you. And if he didn't seek you, you'd be dead. That's what the Bible says, that we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came from heaven to earth to save us, because we desperately need that more than we need anything else. And by the way, if some of you are sick and you need to be healed, that I'm sorry. You know, I'm not a healer, and I don't do healing things, and some people do, and I still believe God heals people. But here's the thing. If God heals your body and you still are far from God, what does that do you? Still dead without Jesus. See, if we're going to be salt, we must live radically different lives within our community. Jesus says that we're to be a city on a hill, reflecting God's glory to a lost world. In areas like sex, in areas like power, in areas like money, in areas of like success. But in every survey that is done, the Christian community is, is very much reflective of the general community. And so the community looks at us and says, you're a Christian? I'm sorry. I don't tell me how you're different because I other than going to church on the weekend and I don't. How are you at all different than me? For example, let me give you a couple of examples as a faithful follower of Jesus and as a Christian, uh, our very presence should have a preservation and convicting effect. And by the way, the convicting effect doesn't come because I get a Bible and I put it in your face or under your nose. It doesn't come because I condemn you and, 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 and play judge and jury in you. It's more like this. Your life will reveal dishonesty in business as you live in honest, honestly. 
when you see dishonesty, you, you are honest, right? And that, and that has multiple implications in work, at school, and everywhere in your neighborhood. Your life will reveal gossip in the office as you choose not to participate. I mean, you know, you know you're going to stand out. when you, you don't have to make a statement. You just don't do it. You know how hard it is sometimes when somebody comes to you and starts downplaying the boss or downplaying a friend or something, and you just say, you know what, I don't want to do that. Your life will reveal uh, racism in your neighborhood as you love and accept people no matter what their gender, no matter what their sexual orientation or color. And yes, I did say sexual orientation because as far as I know, Jesus says, love your neighbor. Do good to your enemy. Not that they are, but, the, the, but not that they, anyone of, of a different gender, race, or whatever, is it, but, but, but it just says love them. <laughs> you show the difference. But people are so divided. Christians are so divided because they say, well, I can't, I, 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 don't, I, don't, you know, I don't want to even be near that person. Your life will reveal promiscuity in your party as you live a pure life. And you know, I've got to be honest to you. You know, when I... When I when I, and I, did, I guess I'll say this to the younger generation, maybe from 30 younger. You know, I know our world sleeps around. I know that. I know that's part of our, our pop culture. I know a part of our cult, pop culture is to be a virgin is, is, is ridiculous and it's outdated. It's antiquated. But you know what? The Bible basically says that pornea, having sex outside of a marriage between a man and a wife, is a sin. That's not going to change. No matter what our society says, that's not going to change. So I understand the pressure, and I understand we all do. We've all lived through that. But the point is, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to say as a young person, I want to be pure, and I want to give myself, if I finally get married, I want to give myself to one person. That's not true in the Christian church. That's not true in the Christian church. I meet with couples all the time. Who say, I'm a Christian. We want to get married. We're living together. Okay, let's talk. (laughs) Do you see the conflict there? Do you see the contradiction there? No? Well, you should. That's where the world starts to take notice. Isn't it interesting that the people that say, I'm going to remain pure, and there's a couple athletes that have said that, you know, female and male athletes, uh, and, and what do they make? They're, the people, the world looks at them and say, what's wrong with you? You're ridiculous. And you say, I don't want to be looked at like that. Really? This is where the world, this is where the preservation effect of the church has lo- been lost. You'll be salt in life by simply living as a Christian. When you do this effectively, racism looks like racism, promiscuity looks like promiscuity, gossip looks like gossip, corruption looks like corruption. That's what we're talking about, folks. When we leave this place, who are we? And I'm talking to the pastor, by the way. Furthermore, the way that we handle pressure, the way in which we take criticism, the way you treat people who are harsh and unkind, the way you deal with trials, troubles, and tribulations, bring out the beauty of Christ within you. It's like a light, bright light in the darkness when you do it well and when you do it right. But you can't do it just by just saying, well, I'll do it. No, you have to be, you have to train, you have to prepare for it. Second thing implication is we're called to engage with 
and challenge our culture. There's some things in our culture that we can engage with them and work together with them. There's other areas that we have to challenge our culture and say, no, that's not, that's not acceptable. And, and that's what it means to be salt. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt and light must engage to be useful. Light does no good, essentially Jesus is saying, if you put a light and you put it under a bushel, it doesn't do any good. You just cover the light. It's not doing anything. It's serving no purpose. Salt does nothing if it stays in the salt shaker. Salt must be dispersed to become a preservative. The point is... And, 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 and there are, you know, listen, I'm not telling you how to run your family or how to run your life. I'm just saying that if you go into this cozy Christian community and you say we are going to go into a holy huddle with our family and we're not never going to interact with the world, you are like salt shaker with a salt stain in the shaker. You're like a light under a bushel basket. And some of you are trying to preserve your children and they're getting thrown out into the world and they're in a whirlwind of hurt. Because one day they will leave, one day they will walk out, and they will not be prepared. I'm not telling you how you educate your kids. I'm just saying that if you go into a holy... You, you know as a Christian, you can raise your children, send them to a Christian school. You can send them to a Christian college. You can uh, uh, create, you know, and when they retire, you can have a Christian community retire. And you can do all that stuff. And I'm not trying to make a statement about all that. What I'm trying to say is that if you want to have an impact on the world, you do it by engaging the world and teaching your kids how to engage the world and how to think and how to be salt and how to be light. And you teach them when there are questions and they don't have an answer. You walk them through it and you do that. See, God didn't bring us together for a holy huddle. Can you imagine a football game? So the kickoff comes and the team runs it back and the, the team with the ball goes to a huddle. And they don't never come out. And the ref calls a penalty, <laughs> 15 yards or five yards or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, the clock goes again. And they never come out of the huddle and people go, this isn't a good offensive strategy. We're never going to score this way. It's like, this is it. This is it. And, uh, can you imagine the other team going, oh, this is, this is going to be an easy game, you know? Uh, Edmund Burke was the famous, uh, the, the fam- had the famous quote, said, the only thing needed for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Uh, we have to do something. Now, I'm not asking us to go out and be a social justice church. That's not who we are. That's not who God made us. God has called us to make a difference in the way that he's equipped us and given us the burden and the, the passion to make a difference. And that's going to look different than other churches. And that's okay. You know, Wilbur, Wilbur, William uh, Wilberforce, in the late 1700s, he was a teenager. And during that time, English traders raided the African coast of the Gulf of Guinea and captured 35,000, uh, between 35,000 and 50,000 Africans a year shipped them across the Atlantic and sold them into slavery. Uh, Wilberforce was a Christian. He was a member of parliament in in Great Britain. And he worked all his life to abolish slavery, of the the slavery of the African people. For the the first 20 years, he suffered nothing but defeats, rejection from friends, insult from enemies, physical illness, and even threats to his life. And it's 
Can you imagine? How long would you last? Five years? Oh, I'm done. He first launched his campaign for the abolition of uh, slavery in 1787 and lived to finally see it succeed in 1833. 1833. Three days before he died. <laughs> 46 years in total. And so what, what we see from Wilberforce is this. That this... What we're talking about is not going to be achieved overnight. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And maybe one of the problems we have is everyone, I talk to people, and many people in the Christian church want to be superstars for Jesus. And maybe it's because of how pastors preach. We need to be like Paul. We need to be like Daniel. We need to be like David. We need to be like uh, one of the apostles, Peter. And I want to be like one of them. Well, what, if, what if God just wants you to be an, a Corinthian cobbler? You get up every day and, and you do these things. You love God. If you're married, you love your wife or your husband. If you have kids, you love your kids. You love your neighbors. You love your coworkers. You love your schoolmates. And you serve God every day faithfully. And you live a pure life. You live a moral life. You, you engage the world, but you also work to make it a better place. Here's the third thing. We're called to create a community of peace and prosperity. See, salt hinders bacterial decay and light dispels darkness. And we're never going to create a perfect utopian society, but we can and should improve our community. And, and there was a time probably 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, where a lot of these end-time books were coming out and people were basically saying, I just want to get off this planet and it's going to hell in a handbasket and I just want to go to heaven and I don't really care about this planet. Uh, I think that was an unfortunate in- interpretation of that, those passages. I think that we're in a similar place right now in America as the Jews who were taken into captivity were when they were taken into Babylon in captivity. I think we're in a similar place. It was a dark society. It was getting darker. And uh, they were not not welcomed. (laughs) They were not welcomed in. They were slaves. They were taken as prisoners. So they were in a dark community, and they had to say, okay, so what are we going to do in this dark community? And it would have been easy for them to say, well, let's just get out of here, or this won't last very long, or we'll be done with it. And uh, some of the prophets came and said, oh, God told me to tell you this is going to be over in a few years, and don't worry about it. And Jeremiah the prophet says, they're lying to you. It's going to be 70 years, and most of you who are taken will never leave Babylon. You'll never leave. But what Jeremiah does is he gives us a great encouragement because he tells us, how should we live in a world that's getting darker? How should we live? Well, he tells us, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find, your spou- then find spouses for them so that they 
may have their many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And then notice what he says. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city, Babylon, where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So what he's saying is you're not where you want to be, but you will, here's what you can do. Live your life and make your city a better place. That's what we want to do here. We want to make Dubuque and the tri-state area a better place because Hope Church is here. The community of Hope Church is here to make a difference in this community, to make it a better place, to be a preservative uh, uh, in, have a preservative impact, but also to have a, a positive, attractive impact on our community. The Jews were instructed to keep their distinct religious identity, not assimilating culture, the culture uh, to, of the Babylons, and yet to be deeply involved in the economic and cultural life of Babylon. They were to seek peace, prosperity, and the common good. So they were to keep their religious identity with Jehovah, with Yahweh, they were to keep that, that separate, but they were to engage their community and to be part of their community and make a difference in their community. See, we don't seek to impose our Christian values on anyone, but we also don't apologize for them. We don't keep our faith private. We bring it to the public square. You should never have to apologize for being a follower of Jesus Christ. But when, you, when people find out you are, they will sometimes give you a hard time. See, see what we have to understand is we, we accept that sometimes there's going to be opposition. Look at what Peter says, First Peter. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from Worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving your unbelieving neighbors. Matt, when you drive that church van, be careful. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. They will say, we were warned. We saw your followers. We heard the gospel. We saw what it meant to be a Christ follower. I had a neighbor. I had a friend. I had a family member. I had a, a, a co-worker. And they lived the Christian life. And I rejected it. I cannot say that I never had a chance because the, because the Lord had put people in my life. Following Jesus is going to evoke persecution. But it will also bring pagans to praise God. We know that, 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 that there will be those who reject our beliefs, but we could still work together to make a community of peace and prosperity. Next weekend at our, uh, at our, our open house, it's not really an open house, but at our, our, uh, as we uh, have our uh, public service for the community, we're inviting a number of community leaders that have been instrumental that we've worked with and they worked with us and made this possible and helped us out. And we're going to celebrate together. Uh, what we are starting to do at the Rosha campus. Um, and I think that's the way God desires it to be. 
Tim Keller says this, and I love this quote. He says, Christians should be a community radically committed to the good of the city as a whole. We must move out sacrificially, serve the good of the whole human community, especially the poor. The ultimate purpose of redemption is not to escape the material world, but to renew it. God's purpose is not only saving individuals, but inaugurating a new world based on justice, peace, and love, not power, strife, and selfishness. And that's what we're called to do. And we can do that, and we should do that, and we must do that. We should be the very best citizens within our community. If you're a Christian, you should be the best citizen in this community. You should be moral. You should follow the law. You should pray for those in authority over us, whether it's the police, whether it's the government, whoever it is. And you know what? I understand we're going to an election year, and you say, who do I vote for? I think I'm going to write in Jesus. I don't, I don't know. I mean, sorry, didn't mean to get political there. But see, our cultural engagement must be shaped by the cross. We give sacrificially to our community because we have received the sacrificial love of the Savior. So I've been kind of big picture here, but I think you have enough to take with you. We're to be salt and light this year. That's not always going to work out well for us. That's not going to mean we're going to have a whole boatload of new friends. Probably not. Um, I always find it interesting. I'll close with this. I always find it interesting that when you're just trying to live the Christian life and you're not joining in gossip and you're not tearing other people down and you're not using um, foul, terrible language, you're not demeaning women, you're not... um, telling filthy jokes and you're not living, uh, you know, you're not walking around drunk half the time as a Christian, as a Christian, um, that people will give you a hard time and they'll begin to, you know, act like you're the weird one because you don't do all that stuff. And sometimes they'll say, I've had this happen. And they say, you think you're so good. <laughs> and I've not said a word. I have literally not said a word. And um, <laughs> generally what I say is no. <laughs> I know absolutely that I am not good. Not even close. But I know someone who is. And because he was good enough, more than good enough for me, I have life today. And that's... That's kind of how you share. Some people are ready for it and some people aren't. But God has called us together not just to be a holy huddle because in a minute the huddle is going to be dispersed into the community. So how are you driving? <laughs> how, what kind of neighbor are you? What kind of coworker are you? What kind of classmate are you? What kind of friend are you? Are you making a difference? Are you salt and light? Look at your relationships a little bit and say, is my behavior a little different when I'm gathered together with the church than when I'm with the community? Or would people, your friends say, they dearly love Jesus and it shows in their lives? It doesn't mean you're not going to blow it. In fact, what it means is when you do blow it, you say, hey, you know what? I blew it. I did this. I did this. And I'm taking full responsibility for it. 
it's not fitting of who I am, and I just want you to know that I'm taking complete responsibility for that. When their jaw opens up and get their jaw back, you, because that's what Christians do. They don't say they're perfect, but they admit it when they blow it, and they ask for forgiveness. So let's, let's be salt and light. Let's see what happens. Let's make our community a better place because we're in it. And we're committed to making it a better place for his glory. And it's not so people look at us and say, oh, you're so nice. You're so good. No, no, no. They will, they will look to your father in heaven and say, what a wonderful God he must be. What a wonderful father. I want to close with just one quick thing. So we, we took these backpacks and I wish you could have been there. We're going to show a video. You'll see it. Not today, but you'll see it in a week, a week or two. So after we got done, they all clapped. The teachers all clapped. They stood and clapped. Many of them were crying. They were weeping. And they walked up to me, and they walked up to the other staff there, and they just started hugging us. I'm just sitting there going, I don't think I should take this hug. I don't deserve this hug. You deserve the hug. And it was a weird thing. It was like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, thank you, but it wasn't me. You know, it was like so weird. But I had just about, I think it was every teacher walk up there and just give me a hug or handshake, pat on the back, say thank you. And I just thought, I don't know why they're thanking me because I didn't, I mean, I helped. But do you see what we can do together, the difference we can make? They were absolutely shocked that anyone cared about them and anyone was praying for them. So let's pray for them this year. Let's pray for the teachers and administration at Audubon School. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, we as a community can be salt and light. It's very apparent and it's very clear. The question is, as individuals, how are we going to do it? What do we need to change? What do we need to think through? Some of us are trying our best and doing maybe not as good as we could or should. Some of us have really never thought about it. May we think about it. May we do more than think about it. May we change our behavior because we change our actions and we change our thoughts. Father, as we leave this place, we need to make a difference. We need to be salt and light. And that, is, that means different things for each and every one of us. But sh- may your spirit show us what you would have each and every one of us do this week to be salt, to be light, to make our community a better place so that you would get all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.